All right. Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Open up to Deuteronomy chapter 12. If you need a Bible, there's some on the chairs there around you. If you're using those from the chairs there around you, you're going to go to either page 121 or if the Bible that you're using has a flame on the front of it, page 156. Deuteronomy chapter 12, page 121 or page 156. As you are turning there, I, normally I'll have a bottom line and then maybe I'll have some other points to support that bottom line. Um, here's, here's my first bottom line and I'll give you my second bottom line. How's that? I, can't, I couldn't, couldn't decide. We'll narrow it down after this. So here's what I, where I think we're going this morning as we look at these, these verses. How the people of God worship, God matters to God. I, I don't think anybody would, would have a problem with that. But this is what we're going to be getting into in Deuteronomy chapter 12. How the people of God worship God matters to God. Okay? Now what I want to do, um, hopefully you have your Bibles open. I'm going to try to follow this along on the uh, screen, but it might be a little small for you. What I'd like to do is just read straight through verses 1 through 28, which is what we'll be looking at today. What I would like you to do as we read, if you're reading and you're following along, that'll be great because you're hearing and you're seeing. Um, or maybe you're going to just choose to listen. But what I want you to listen to as we read through, I'm just going to read through it, is this. How the people of God worship God matters to God. I want you to listen for how, does the, how are the people of God supposed to worship as he's telling them, the people of Israel. And why, why do I say it matters to God? So I'm just going to read through verses 1 through 28. Then I'm going to narrow it down a little bit and, and then we'll, we'll walk through a few things. So chapter 12, verse 1. These are the statutes and the rules that shall, you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess served their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their asherim with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name of that place, out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes, and the contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Verse 8. You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God has given you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around, so that you live in safety, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your contribution that you present, and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants and your female servants, and the Levite that is within your towns, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. 
Take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings at any place that you see, but at the place that the Lord will choose in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I am commanding you. Verse 15. However, you may slaughter and eat meat within any of your towns as much as you desire, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. The unclean and the clean may eat of it as of the gazelle and as of the deer. Only you shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it out on the earth like water. You may not eat within your towns the tithe of your grain or of your wine or of your oil or the firstborn of your herd or of your flock or any of your vow offerings that you vow or your freewill offerings or the contribution that you present. But you shall eat them before the Lord your God in the place that the Lord your God will choose. You and your son and your daughter, your male servant, and your female servant, and the Levite who is within your towns. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all that you undertake. Take care that you do not neglect the Levite as long as you live in the land. Verse 20. When the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he has promised you, and you say, I will eat meat because you crave meat, you may eat meat whenever you desire. If the place that the Lord your God will choose to put his name there is too far from you, then you may kill any of your herd or your flock which the Lord has given you, as I have commanded you, and you may eat within your towns whenever you desire. Just as the gazelle or the deer is eaten, so you may eat of it. The unclean and the clean alike may eat of it. Only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life, and you shall not eat the life with the flesh." You shall not eat it, you shall not, uh, but you shall pour it on the earth like water. You shall not eat it, that all may go well with you and your children after you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. But the holy things that are due from you and your vow offerings, you shall take and you shall go to the place that the Lord will choose and offer your burnt offerings, the flesh and the blood, on the altar of the Lord your God. The blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God, but the flesh you may eat. Be careful to obey all these words that I command you, that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever. With you, do what is, when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. And everybody said, Amen. And then you also said, Say what? All right, but I think, you, I think as you listen, as you read, you start to pick up on some repetition, right? Let me summarize what was going on in these verses. The people of God are standing here right before they cross into the land that God has promised. So they're not there yet. Moses is giving a sermon. He's given instructions. He's re-explaining the covenant so that they can understand the terms of the covenant that they are going to be recommitting themselves to. So he's very concerned about now, when you get in the land, Here's how you live when you get in the land. So they're going to cross over the Jordan. That's when they get in the land. You read about that, by the way, when you get to the book of Joshua. Okay? Moses does not get to take them in the land. And so there's some, some things he's going to say. When you get in the land, now remember, all the people of Israel have been traveling together. And when they will stop the tabernacle, which contains the Ark of the Covenant, where God physically was choosing to let his presence dwell, that was in the center of the camp. 
And so there were certain things while they were traveling that they were instructed to do. Any animal that was, or, or certain types of animals, cows particularly are, are one of them, right? Um, but the, anything that was not considered wild game, if you were going to kill it in the camp to eat, you had to come and kill it at the, fr- at the, at the, um, the front of the tabernacle, in, in, the, in the place where the tabernacle was. You would spill the blood out there. Right? And then there were certain uh, types of sacrifices that had to be offered there at the tabernacle in certain ways. Now the challenge is when you get in the land, all the people are going to be spread out and they're going to be inheriting land in different territories. But God, Yahweh, is going to choose a place. Did you hear it in there? A place over and over again, and there you shall go, there you shall go. Now, it's not been designated yet by this point, but we know it's going to be Jerusalem in the region of Judah. Right? Well, that's going to be a lot further distance for a lot of the people as they start to settle in their land. And so Moses is now adjusting the covenant, uh, the terms of the covenant, because the covenant that they had from Mount Sinai, which they would have gotten in Exodus 19, was suitable for the things that we're going to experience in the wilderness. But now as they go into the land, there's some things that need to be adjusted. For instance, how are we supposed to kill our game, our, our meat, if we're just eating our meat for dinner? Like I'm craving meat, but in the past I had to go kill it at the foot of the tabernacle. But now God's going to designate a place, and that's several days' journey, perhaps. Do I have to go to that place, kill my meat, bring it back to eat it? And that's what he's giving. Some of it's very practical. But then other points he's saying, but there's certain sacrifices, and there's certain, certain times where you must come to the place. But if you should just crave meat, and it's not part of the sacrifice, it's not a firstborn, you're free to eat it in your town, you're free to kill it in your town, but here's how you do it. The blood is still important. Did you hear that in there, by the way? The blood. Don't eat meat with the blood in it. We're not talking about rare steaks. We're not, that's, not, that's not what he means. That, that, the, the cow has already been drained already by the time you get your meat, okay? That's not what he's talking about. So everybody can keep eating your steaks rare and medium rare. And if you don't do that, well, I don't know if you're eating steak right. Okay? But, but that's not what he's talking about, okay? So the, the blood already has been drained from the animal while we eat our steaks. But that's what he's saying to them. You need to make sure the blood's drained and you need to pour it out. Now listen to this. Before I go into what we're actually going to get into, the reason the blood is so important, we see this all the way back in the Genesis, because in the blood is the life. Put yourself in the mindset of somebody who is not living in an advanced medical world where they have microbiology and they can look deep down and see. They just know when someone's seeping blood, they're dying. Life is leaving them. It's very simple, really, right? The life is in the blood. And so that's why back in Genesis 9, when, uh, when God has given instruction to uh, Noah after the ark, he said, if anyone takes the life of someone, then you should take his life because of the, the blood and the life that's being taken by someone who's in the image of God. Okay, so, but God's not just concerned about the life of people. He's concerned about the life of animals because he created them as well, right? And so he's, he's having them remember when you pour out the blood, that's a life for a life. It may not be a sacrifice for your sins, but that animal has given its life so that you can feed and be sustained on life for life. And so the ritual of pouring the blood on the ground like water is a reminder to the people killing the animal, this animal has given its life for me. And so when we thank God, practically speaking, we just thank God, we thank God for his provision, but, but there's a place for us to go, God, thank you for the animal that gave us life. We're not worshiping the animal, we're thanking God for the animal that he's created that has given his life for our food. Right? That's what Moses is going after here is make sure when you kill your animal, if you're just eating it for, for eating meat purposes, you do it in this way. But if there are certain types of sacrifices you're wanting to make, you have to come to the place 
You can't make them in your own place. If there's certain animals, the firstborn, every firstborn from an animal had to be consecrated to the Lord. You don't get to kill that one and eat whenever. And so that's what you hear going on in these passages is Moses is helping them understand when you get all spread out, here's how worship will look. But here's how I want to narrow this down this morning. So we said um, how the people of God worship God matters to God. Well, here's how Moses gets more specific. The place of God's presence is the place of worship. The place of God's presence, I've worded it kind of cryptic like that on purpose, kind of goes multiple different ways because you're asking, well, what does of God's presence mean? Because I could have said the place where God's presence is, but I'm doing this on purpose. The place of God's presence is the place of worship. And in order to show you that, we're just going to walk back through. We're not going to read it all again, but I'm going to walk back through and highlight for you all the different times that Moses gives instructions to go to the place. Go to the place. And then we'll, we'll tie it up and I'll show you what I think the Lord's saying to us through these words. All right, so the place of God's presence is the place of worship. The first thing we see Moses do in these first four verses is when you get in the land, you've got some work to do to destroy the things that are offered to other gods. You got to clean it out first, okay? That's important. That's important. When you go in, he wants them to destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods. So I want you to go into those places. You don't leave them there. You go and you destroy every place where another god, little g, was worshiped. High mountains, why? Because this is where, this is very simple, very simple. Spiritual beings are different from humanity. And the idea is this, spiritual beings must be from above, therefore they must reside on the high places. Well, where are the highest places? The highest places are the mountains, okay? That's why they worshiped on mountains. That's why they built towers and ziggurats to be high places, to mimic mountains. That's why when you think Greek mythology, Mount Olympus was the place of all the gods because it was a high place. When you think about in the scriptures, Jerusalem is on a mountain, okay? This is, this is just the cosmology. This is the understanding of the world that they had. And that's why they would have set up their worship on high mountains and on hills because it, it's elevated and under every green tree. It's an interesting study. We did this back in, I didn't do it. I mentioned it. So I'm gonna mention it again and let you do it. Um, back in 2020, when we were just kind of going through the F-260 reading plan and preaching, I said it'd be an interesting study to go through and just search out what the scriptures say happens at trees. There's things that happen at trees. Trees have a significance both for the people of God and for those who reject God and worship other gods. And it'd be fun for you to do. Right? So he goes, destroy all of it. Any place that's been used for worship of another god, little g, destroy it. You shall tear down their altars, dash in pieces their pillars, and burn their asherim. Asherim was as a specific goddess. And um, I'm going to put this very gently. She was a fertility goddess. And so she was depicted with things that would um, be used for life and sustainment of life of human beings. All right. So um, you shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. Well, what do you mean destroy their name? Because the name, and this is becoming important in a minute, the name represented character. The name represented presence. Sometimes in God's case, the name is the presence. It's in our text today. The name of God is the same as the presence of God. 
And so we think of name and we think, well, it's just the name that your parents call you and you can change it when you get 18 if you didn't like their choice or you'll come up with a nickname. But names in the ancient Near East and in many of the cultures still today that are Eastern in their mindset, names meant something. They defined you. They were either um, how you believed God was gonna work in their life, how you hoped God was gonna work in their life. Maybe God gave you a name. And I'm just so, real quick, just on names. Our kids, we've got four. You can see the progression. Karis means grace in Greek. Hope is her middle name. And so we were very intentional because first child syndrome, you do everything intensely, right? And everything over the top. Not that you're over the top. Well, that's actually, I got to retract that. Um, but, but this is my kid who doesn't mind me calling her out. And so Karis means grace. Hope is her middle name. And we thought, man, this is our grandiose ideas, right? Man, when, the, when she gets her name called out in class, they're going to say Karis. Oh, what does Karis mean? And Karis is going to be so astute. She's going to say it means grace. And then they're going to hope. I like that name. Hope, yeah. I can have hope because of God's grace through Jesus Christ. So the gospel is built in there, right? Okay, you see that? Man, we put a lot of thought in that. All right, then we went with Kaylin. Kaylin, we were like, well, we got to stick with K's. Then we're like, well, we got to find a, a K name that means something. Google K, K names that mean something. You start looking at, oh, okay. You know, you can find a name that means something in any language. You just got to f- figure out which language you want to call it, right? So Kaylin, it means like crowned princess or crowned something like that in, in Gaelic or something like that. And you're like, we're doing it, right? Okay. Kinsley, Kinsley sounds like Lindsay, starts with a K. All right, so that, see how our progression happened? A lot of thought. Now we got to keep with the Ks. Kinsley sounds like Lindsay. Okay. JJ, break the, break the K's because it's got to be a J because all the boys on my, my dad's side, my dad has only boys, there's four of us, we all have J names. So I'm like, where are we going to keep the J names, right? So we've got JJ, which is actually short for Jonas James. We did Jonas because it's God's gift. Now, some of you have heard the story of Jonas, how we specifically prayed and asked God for a boy and the, 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 the things that God gave some of you to say to us to confirm that he had given us a boy and then the dream that God gave to my wife confirming that we were having a boy and the next day finding out we're pregnant, right? So we, we went Jonas, even though I thought most people would think Jonas Brothers. And they had actually dropped off the scene and then they decided to do a reunion tour, Right, and so, but Jonas, James, JJ, James is my dad's middle name, but then JJ is my nickname. So you see how we got it all together? Right, all right. Names mean something in some cases for us. In the Eastern world, it always meant something. Names always meant something. Which is why when you interact with someone from another country and they tell you their name, sometimes if they give you their actual name, a lot of times they'll, they'll Americanize it and just give you their English name. But when they give you their actual name, you're going, well, I've never heard of a name like that. Like I know I have a friend, he, he's in Korea and his daughter, when he, she was born, was named Holy. Now, she's named Leanne now. But in the South Korean culture, there's something about you name your kid at one point one name, and then you change their name. I'm just, I'm just saying, names mean something, right? All right, that's why the name. So a long, long diatribe to tell you the names mean something. So destroy their name is not simply just like go and scratch it off of the rock if it's on the rock. It means anything that represents them needs to be cleaned out. Okay? Their name needs to be wiped off the face of your land. All right, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. So you shall not do the things that they were doing to worship their gods, which a lot of the stuff they were doing in this land to Baal was to go up to these high places. I'm gonna keep this G-rated, to go up to these high places. And because Baal was the fertility God who gave rain, they assumed that um, the thing that must grow their crops must be the fertile thing that comes from a human being. And so in order to get the fertile thing that comes from a human being in their mind, Baal, then they needed to have Baal get excited so that fertile thing could fall from the sky, which we call rain, but they knew was something else. 
Okay, does that make sense? So they would go to the high places to get Baal excited. Okay, this is how they worship their gods. Okay, I'm being G-rated because we got some little ears and I want you reading between the lines. This is embarrassing. You might think this is inappropriate for church. It's here. This is what people do and they do it now too. Okay, they, they worship gods in different ways. You want to talk magic. You want to talk Wiccan. You want to talk pagan religions. You want to talk new age. This kind of stuff still happens. Still happens, okay? You want to talk Grammys? Sorry. Okay, it happens. We got to move on. All right, all right, all right. Here's, I think, the key verse. Verse five, but you shall seek the place that Yahweh your God, the Lord your God, will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. And there you shall go. And there you shall bring all these specific offerings. And there you will eat before the Lord. You're going to the place that Yahweh, their God, chooses. So there's something here that has to be taken away. The people of God worship the way God designates in the place that God designates. God has the right to choose, right? So that's what Moses is getting at. He's going to choose a place among your people where he's going to dwell. Now, theologically speaking, we know as we read throughout all the scriptures that God is everywhere present, okay? He is everywhere present. Where can I go from your spirit that you are not there? Psalm 139. That's not what we're getting at here, that God is going to dwell among his people and in doing so he can't be somewhere else. That's false gods. That's little g gods. That's Baal. That's all the gods that these people worship. But Yahweh, their God, is everywhere present because he's the God who created all things, right? He's not bound by space. He's not bound by time. And yet God chooses to make his presence dwell, physically manifest in a very specific way among a very specific people. And it sets him apart right? So he's going to choose a place where basically the Ark of the Covenant, the box that, they, that Moses was instructed to, to create that had, that had certain things in it on top was the, the mercy seat. And on the top of the mercy were two cherubim with their wings touching one another. That's where they would go and they would make certain sacrifices at certain times of the year, right? And right there on top of that is where the physical manifestation of the glory, the presence of God dwelled, which is why they couldn't just walk into that room anytime they wanted to. One man, one time a year under certain conditions, right? So there's going to be a place. He's going to, he's the Ark of the Covenant's going to be there. That's where the physical manifestation of God's presence is going to be among his people. But God is still going to be with his people regardless of where his physical presence is manifesting because he's already told us that his eyes are on the land all, all the time. All right, okay, so I just want you to not get hung up on a theological hangup that you might have in your mind. There's gonna be a place, Old Testament here, you're gonna go and that's where you're gonna worship. That's where you should go and you shall eat before your God. Why does he say before your God? Because you're gonna be in the physical manifestation of the presence of God and that's where you're gonna eat certain offerings, okay? Okay, but I eat in the presence of God all the time. Right, right, that's why I said what I said a minute ago. They're gonna go eat in the physical manifestation of the presence of God. That's what they're, going, they're, they're being instructed to do. Keep going. Verse 8, you shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. Apparently, what had happened as they're wandering in the desert is they were choosing to worship in ways that, that were a little looser, right? And they were doing certain things that they wanted. Maybe they were eating wherever they wanted. And Moses is now saying, you can't keep down this road. We're, we're going to tighten this back up. And when you get into the land, God's going to designate a place. So that's where you go. That's where you go. 
We're going to jump down to verse 11. Then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell. See, the name is the presence. The name is the presence. The presence is his name. We're, we're not talking about a place that just has his name plastered on it or sketched on it or, or engraved on it. The name of God is the presence of God. Fun study, go look up name. Read it. Read it in the scriptures. Look it up and then see. Now, a lot of times, there's just, you're going to have to weed through a lot of stuff, right? But when you look at it specifically in context of when it's used of God, there's times where the name of God is the presence of God. Okay? It, it, it substitutes name for presence. And that's all he's saying here is make his name dwell there. In other words, his physical manifestation of his presence will be there. That's where you shall go to bring all that I command you, those certain offerings. There you will rejoice before, because again, we're coming into the presence of God, the physical manifestation of the presence of God to offer the sacrifices and to worship God. Okay? That's his instruction. We keep going. You look at verse 13. Or 14, at that place that the Lord will choose. You keep hearing it over and over. There's a place. God's going to choose it. That's where you should go. There you shall offer burnt offerings. There you shall do all that I'm commanding you to do. We keep going in verse 16. You shall not eat the blood. I just, I've highlighted that already, but I wanted you to catch that and why that was important. Verse 18, but you shall eat them before the Lord your God. Again, before means I'm coming into the physical manifestation of the presence of God. I'm going to eat them before the Lord your God in the place that the Lord your God will choose. How God's people worship God, worships God, matters to God. And then that narrowing down was the place of God's presence is the place of worship. Are you seeing it? At this point, their, their instruction is the place that you shall go is where the place of God's presence is dwelling. So you shall go and rejoice before the Lord your God. 20, or 21, if that place, this is where he gets practical. Remember, because I said sometimes if they just wanted to eat meat, like maybe they had some cows that wasn't the firstborn, they weren't offering a sacrifice, they just wanted to eat meat because it's okay to eat meat. Right? And so they, they would, they would want to um, kill a cow. They would have to go previously to the tent of meeting, to the tabernacle. But now Moses, this is where he's just addressing the practical. If the place that the Lord your God will choose to put his name there is too far from you, then you may kill any of your herd or your flock. Okay? This is the, if you're just wanting to eat meat, it's not one of these specific sacrifices. It's not one of these specific offerings, and you're too far away. In other words, if you lived in Judah, you probably better be going to the place. Right? But if you lived all the way up north, you're probably going to just kill in your own town. Okay, that's what he's saying. But again, the place. And it's the place where he puts his name. 23, again, do not eat the blood for the blood is life. We've kind of touched on that, but I just wanted you to see that. Verse 26, go to the place that the Lord will choose. And that's where you offer those things. All right, so we walked through that. I want you to see that. Now, here's the thing about it. The people of God are supposed to go to the place that God designates. Because the place that God designates is important. It's important for a few reasons. Now, follow, follow me on this. One, it's simply important because it's the place God chose. God has the right to choose. Okay? So, so it's, it, it's where God said you should go to worship. Therefore, that's what the people do. Now, it's not so much that God was so concerned about the place, but it's that his presence was going to be in that place. So what made that place so significantly important was not just that he said, that's where I want you to go, but he said, that's where I want you to go because that's where my presence is going to be. And so worship is to come into the presence of God, okay? So, so the people of God could start to get real, real um, 
particular about the place and they could start to build an idol out of a place. But the idea is not the place, but it's that it's the place where God's presence dwelled and therefore that place is made holy. Okay? And so when you fast forward, it was the tabernacle, a tent with the Ark of the Covenant. Later in Solomon, King Solomon's day, he's going to build a temple. The glory of God, the presence of God is going to come and fill that temple. And so now that's the place, right? But then what happens when the glory and the presence of God leave that temple? And the temple is destroyed. Right? So the place is important. One, because God has the right to choose. God has the right to designate. God has the right to give instruction as to how his people worship. Right? But the place is important, not simply because God said, that's what I want you to do. He's not just, just flippantly saying, go there today. Now tomorrow go there. No, it's because that's the place where his presence will be. And the people of God worship God by coming into the presence of God. God, okay? All right. So the place of worship is, or the place of God's presence is the place of worship. Now, that was Israel in the Old Testament worshiping at the tabernacle or the temple where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the presence of God dwelled. We don't have that anymore. That ark, we don't even know where it is. I know there's been some TikTok videos flying around. People think they might know at this point, but listen, if you get your, mm, if you get your theology from TikTok, you need to stop, <laughs> okay? Let your theology come from the, your study of the scripture, and then you go tell TikTok what's right or wrong, okay? You go and discern what's right or wrong, but if you get your theology from TikTok or Reels or whatever, you're in trouble, all right? But listen, so we don't have the Ark of the Covenant, all right? We also don't have a physical temple. Oh, but there's one being built. No, I don't want to hear about that. That's not what we're talking about right now. What do we do as the people of God? If the people of God are supposed to worship in the way that God wants us to worship, and it's important to God that in, in, in his people in the Old Testament, he says, there's a place where my presence dwells. So the presence of God is important in worship. How do we worship today? Okay, John chapter four. See, because what happened was... There was a debate that started among the Jews and a group of people called the Samaritans, half Jews, half, half Gentiles. These were people who, they were part of the, uh, the 10 northern tribes when they were taken into captivity into Assyria back in your Old Testament. And they, the Assyrian people liked to intersperse their captives. And so these people intermarried with other, other nations and therefore you got Samaritans. So a, an ethnic Jew who married someone who was not an ethnic Jew produced a child that became a Samaritan. Okay? So then you've got these Samaritans. So now full-bred Jews, so to speak, full-blood full ethnic Jews, both mom and dad are, are full-blood Jews, looked at the Samaritans as half-breeds, traitors, unworthy. Right? They would not even go through the land of Samaria. They would go and add an extra day or two to their journey just to go around Samaria. But Jesus said to his disciples one day while they were traveling, we've got to go through Samaria. Okay? So they're going through Samaria. They come, they stop at a well. And it's noontime, and this woman comes at, uh, at noon. Now, women came, and they got water in the morning when it was cool, and you got your water for the day. The reason you would be a woman coming to get your water at noon was because you didn't want to be among the other women. 
the reason this woman didn't want to be among the other women is probably because she had had some affairs with some of those women's husbands. Because she had five husbands and the man she was living with right now was not her husband. That's what Jesus said to her. He, he said as he's talking to her um, that you have five husbands. He said, go call your husband. And he says, I don't have a husband. He says, you've answered correctly. You've had five of them and the one you're living with now is not even your husband, right? And yet, here's the thing. Because we want to jump on board and go, yeah, Jesus called that out. Yeah, but he was talking to her. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Jewish men don't talk to women in public like that. And yet here you got Jesus by himself, no supervision, no accompanying person to keep him accountable. I understand he's Jesus. He has no sin. But look, he was breaking that mold right there, that social mold. And he was talking to this woman who the Jews would have not only considered shameful, but then because of her lifestyle and her past, she would have been unclean. And he's talking to her and he's interacting. And then he says, go call your husband. But Jesus is not, not afraid to show both full of grace and full of truth, right? So he's extending grace to this woman and yet he's speaking in truth. Go call your husband. Oh, you've answered correctly. Let me tell you what's going on in your life. And then her response is, hey, I perceive you're a prophet. Okay, so then as we often do, we'll change the subject when, when sin is called out in our life because it's just very uncomfortable, right? So, okay, I perceive you're a prophet. Let me talk to you about the debate that's happened among our people and your people. And that's where this picks up. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers, the people of the Samaritans, worshiped on this mountain, which, by the way, is Mount Gerizim. Now, just last week in Deuteronomy 11, Moses gave us um, some instruction that the people of God, when they got into the land, they were to go to two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And they would have this ceremony. They would pronounce the blessings from Mount Gerizim, and they would pronounce the curses from Mount Ebal. And the Samaritan people have found themselves worshiping on Mount Gerizim the place where the people of God were supposed to pronounce blessing, right? So it's got a, a history to that mountain. So, so he, she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship because Jerusalem was a mountain as well. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. See, her concern was which place? Which place are we supposed to go to worship? Because as the Samaritans, they believed it was Mount Gerizim. We're supposed to be here. But you Jews, you say it's Jerusalem. Where's the place that we're supposed to go to worship? That's the debate. That's the question. Is there a place? See, they had got hung up on who's got the right place. Who's got the right physical location to come and enter into the presence of God and to worship God? And Jesus says, I'm telling you the truth. Verse 22 you worship what you do not know. In other words, the Samaritan people did not have the revelation of God that the Jews had. You worship what you do not know. We, the Jews, worship what we know because the Jews had the revelation of God. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Okay? That's been God's plan the whole time. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here. And when Jesus said that, there was still a temple. Okay, there was still a, now the presence of God was not in that temple. But there was still a temple that was, that was quite beautiful. It becomes the topic of discussion in Matthew chapter 24 and Mark chapter 13. Right? Okay, so, but the hour has now come, is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and 
truth. Now, lots of discussion on what we're talking about here, but Jesus in chapter 3 of John talked to a man named Nicodemus and said, unless you are born of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So whatever you conclude about worshiping in spirit and in truth, you cannot detach it from a person who worships in spirit is a person who has been born by the Spirit, who has been given new life from uh, from above by the Spirit of God. In other words, true worshipers are believers in Christ who have been made new by the Spirit of God coming in Theological word, regenerating their hearts, bringing life, okay? So, so true worshipers worship in spirit, so they worship from that newness of life, from out of that spot. Now, we could also go and say it's also a spirit-led type of worship. Why would I say that? Well, because it's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who brings new life. He's the one who comes in and makes me new, changing me from spiritual death to spiritual life. And so he's the one who also lives with inside of me. He takes up residence in me. Um, mm. Yeah, okay, he takes up, I was, it's gonna go down to Jesus in your heart path, but yeah, 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 real quick. We gotta be real careful about our language, okay? Because it's better to use biblical language than trying to make up our own language because here's what happened. I got this story told me this week. Um, a, a, a woman who works with hearts and who's gonna be working with surgery of hearts, kid asked her, mom, when you are doing surgery and have someone's heart open, will you take a picture so that I can see what Jesus looks like? Yeah, y'all say all, but that's some really bad theology. It's not because the mom taught him that, right? But it's because we constantly say to, people, to kids, especially, ask Jesus in your heart, ask Jesus in your heart. They don't understand what that means, right? So it's better for us to use biblical language and understand that a kid who is not abstract in their mind, is purely concrete, is not gonna understand what we say when we say, ask him into your heart. And honestly, if I ask any adult, what does it mean to ask Jesus in your heart? You're not gonna give me a clear answer, right? It's gonna be kind of mumbled and jumbled and you're gonna give me churchy stuff, but... Anyway, so the Spirit of God is the one who makes me new, gives me new life, takes what's old and puts it to death and brings about what's new. And so the Spirit of God is now who takes residence in me, okay? So I worship from the place of the Spirit that he has made new in me and from the leading of the Spirit of God in accordance with truth, what's been revealed from God. So the way that I worship God must be in accordance with how God has revealed himself, who he's revealed himself to be, and truth also means I gotta be honest in the way I'm doing it. I can't be shady. I can't be hiding. There's, there's, there's gotta be truth in the way that I worship. In other words, I'm being truthful as I worship. I think Jarrett read a quote that kind of hit on that this morning. I don't know if you read the full quote. I was out in the hallway, but all right. So, so this, is, this is what Jesus is saying. It's no longer, no longer about a place. Why? Because the place where God's presence dwelled is now a person. Jesus. Jesus became the, the, the invisible God made visible. In him, all the fullness of deity dwelled in bodily form. The place where God's presence was in the Old Testament became a person, Jesus. Jesus, the, the, the one who became a sacrifice. The place where the presence of God was in the Old Testament, where you were to bring your sacrifices, has now become a person. The sacrifice that you would bring to the place where God's presence is, is now a person. The sacrifice is a person, Jesus, the very one in whom, upon whom the presence of God dwelled because in him was all the fullness of deity in bodily form. So the place is now a person, which is why Jesus said, look at this temple in three days, it will be destroyed, but I will, I will rebuild it. And they thought, how can you rebuild this temple? It's been 42 or 52 years, something like that. And you're saying I'm gonna rebuild it because he knew it's not the place, it's the person who becomes the temple of God. 
And now the people who become part of the person, Jesus, because we're now his body, right? The church is called his body. So the people who become part of the person who is the presence of God in bodily form, now we get the spirit of God because we become the temple of God. First Corinthians chapter three says that the church gathered, plural, is the temple of God. First Corinthians chapter six says the individual believer who joins himself to something that's unholy, you shouldn't do that because you are the temple of God. So individual believer, you're the temple of God. Church believers gathered together, we're the temple of God. It's no longer about gathering in a place to worship God. It's about worshiping God from the spirit that is within us that has made us new and still entering into the presence of God, okay? But listen, what about my building? What about my building? What about we got to be in a certain room? Listen, I know, I know. In the, here, I'm wrapping up. In the New Testament, we have the word church. The Greek word behind that is ekklesia, which means assembly, gathering together. It does not mean church. It means an assembly or gathering together. The word church came from the German word kirche, which was the building where the religious practices took place. That got filtered into our translations. This is why Wycliffe, who was making English translations, got put to death because he knew this and he wanted to take church out of the scriptures, put the accurate translation of assembly or gathering so that, so that it would help to, to bring the attention where it needs to be that the place is no longer the place of worship, but it's the people who worship from what's within them, right? But he, he tried to do that and he got put to death because there was a, another type of church in control at that time. And for them, the place was important, right? So church is fine. That's what we have. We, we can't go backwards. It's hard to undo that. But you need to understand, church is not a building. Church is an assembling together of people the church is a body, it's one individual, another individual connected to the same body, the same person, Jesus Christ, okay? So it doesn't matter, okay, here's where this comes. It doesn't matter, do I go to this hill or to that hill? Do I go to this building or that building, this room or that room? You have, if you're a believer in Christ, the spirit of God within you. You can enter into his presence whenever you want. Why? Because Hebrews... Hebrews says we can draw near to God. We can come into the throne of grace with confidence because of what Christ has done for us. I don't have to wait till Sunday at 1045 to get in this room to worship, to enter into God's presence and worship, to, to enjoy the things that God has provided for me in the presence of God. I don't have to wait. I, I, don't, I don't have to be in a certain location. I am the temple of God. You are the temple of God. When we gather together, we are the ecclesia, the assembling together, okay? Jesus is saying true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And so how the people of God worship God matters to God. Look, and, and it's not so much about preferences. We've got a lot of freedom in the way that we express worship. We tend to just think worship and music. That's a way to express worship right? Worship is I'm bringing sacrifices. Worship is I'm offering my life. These are the things that we read about in the, in the New Testament where my life is a living sacrifice. So the things that I do on an everyday basis can become acts of worship. Why? Because I carry with me the very presence of God, right? So what I do to the glory of God becomes an act of worship to the glory of God. How the people of God worship, God matters to God. And then that second one was narrowing it down. The place of God's presence is the place of worship. I hope that gives 
freedom. I hope that that breaks down some, some maybe some mental walls or some, some, some maybe literal walls in a sense that, that you think I can only enter into God's presence in this place. I can only come and worship God in this place or at this time. And instead, I hope it breaks you free to say, true worshiper, worship God in spirit and in truth. Right? So Holy Spirit, come and help us understand this because it goes far deeper than some of us have, have ever thought or been challenged to think. And and there's so much there that it's hard to, 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 to unpack. So Holy Spirit, come and give us an uh, illumination. Help us to understand the word. Help us to understand what Jesus meant as he said this. Help us to understand what Moses meant as he said these things and how it changes the way we approach worship. Help us to understand how it changes the way we come and enter into your presence as worship. And, and then bring freedom because of that, whatever that looks like. And then, Father, will you help us to become more aware of your presence? We all, we all, we all have, if we're a believer in Christ, we have the Spirit of God within us. So the presence of God is there, but we don't always live like it, and we're not always aware of it. So what I'm asking you is to help us to become more aware of your presence with us, that it might change us. And then, God, this morning, for some who are here who, and they've never, they've never entered into your presence because why would they? It's just dark for them. All their life is dark. God, would you now take your light, the light of the kingdom of God, and shine it upon them that they might know you sent Christ to bring people who live in darkness, to bring them out of that darkness and into light. You sent Jesus to be the sacrifice to take care of the sins that keep us from you. You sent him so that through him, by faith in his death, his resurrection, we might now come draw near to your presence. You are a God who wants to be near your people. And so God, would you draw people in today that they might see the beauty of the gospel, understand the wisdom of God in the death and resurrection of Christ that they might have their sins forgiven, that they might be changed from death to life, that they might then now experience the presence of God and let it change them. All in Jesus' name, amen. All right, see you guys next week.